Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. Welcome to Slamfire Radio. This is episode 235 for December 8th, 2017. I'm one of your hosts, Adriel Michaud. Hi, I'm Kelly Lynn. Brian, this Hey, week. I'm Brian. Cute. And Wesley Stevens is, while he was dead to me, he's, he's getting better. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not on the show either, right? He's recovering. Okay. No, he's not on the show, but I just wanted to throw that out for him. I think he'd, he'd enjoy the, the uh, showdown for that, so that's that's all. That's that's it, Wes. That's all you get from me today. There we go. Hi, Wes. Uh, all right, well, why don't we uh, get into what we did with guns. Uh, what we did with guns this week is brought to you by the Calgary Shooting Center, Canada's premier firearms retailer. Right now they have the CZ-452 left-handed uh, rifles in 22 and 17 for 750 Uh Brian, did you want to start with what you did in guns this week? I did a little bit of shooting with my 1022 this weekend. I was trying hard all weekend to get to the range. I managed to finally get there at 4 o'clock on a Sunday uh, evening uh, when I ha- had all of 40 minutes left to shoot. So I actually did the Maple Seed Chevron event, even though it was in December, because I didn't get around to posting the new targets in time for me to shoot something different. But anyway, I just I just needed a little bit of range therapy, and, and that was the thing. Um, I did a little bit of mass prep this week. I really am... Well, I'm not behind, but I'm not as far ahead as I'd like to be. I'm, I'm at the point now where I have to do a bunch of prime pocket crimping or swaging and uh, deburring some cases, that kind of thing. It's just kind of dull and boring, but uh, I'll get there. Um, and my MSA Ear Pro came in today. I'm very Did excited. Did you try them out? I, I put them on my head and I had to take them off because otherwise I would have got funny looks at the office for having these super comfortable <laughs> gels around my ears. It feels so good. It's I know, like, eh? I, I, I think I might sleep with them on tonight. <laughs> you just need to put them on and uh, as you're going around the office, just go mop, mop. <laughs> no? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but... Really weird though. Um, it took me a while to figure out how the batteries went in. I I had to actually read the instructions on how to put the batteries in. So they're stacked, uh, much like cartridges in a, in a magazine, except you can't top load them. You have to kind of put them in for the side, and you have to use a like a pen to shove the first battery down to it makes the contact. So then you have room to put the other battery in. How the heck do you get it out when? It, how the heck do you get it out then? I think there's a whole lot of um, banging them upside down in your palm at that point. I don't know. I haven't tried that. I, in fact, I didn't think it was. I didn't know it was something to be concerned about until you mentioned it, and now I'm scared. Um, anyway, we'll we'll see. Uh, and these are the th- this model apparently is extra waterproof according to the packaging. What does I'm that not, mean? I don't know. It's the it weirdest have a, thing I've ever seen. It should have an IPX rating on there, something like that. Like an IPX five will be like it can take some splashes, whereas like an IPX like double digit or something like that is like awesome. I I have no idea. I'm not gonna jump in the pool with them on. So I yeah I don't know. Probably a good idea. Eh? Keep the water yeah. out of your ears. It, <laughs> it, it might. 
I if that was a problem. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I will say the sound application is is massive. I, I do want to get to the range this weekend and try them out just to see how the sound counts, canceling works. I do understand they're excellent. They better be for the price. Um, everyone who I've ever talked to who has them loves them. So I've worn them think. for like a weekend, and it's probably the most comfortable thing I've ever had on my head. Oh, I, under, I understand. I understand comfort, but. I, I want to double check the sound. Well, the sound just to perfect make sure, as well. They are ear. Okay, good. Yep. Then I'm down with that. I'm looking forward to because they have a a, a a three and a half mil port, and they've come with a, a wire, so I can connect my phone directly to it when I'm cutting the grass. So I should be able to listen to podcasts and not have to hear my lawnmower. Anyway, we'll give it a try. Um, <laughs> so that's about it for me. Um, Kelly, you must be next. Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, the CCFR calendar. So what I did was there's going to be, did you guys know that there was going to be a signing on Saturday from 12 to three, by the way, at SFRC for the Gunny girls. We have like six girls coming and they're going to sign the calendars. I'll be there. But uh, Yeah. You're from Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. If, wait a minute. If Adriel can come, then Yolanda can be there. Oh, you know, hey, secret. Just hold on a second. Okay. All right. Well, totally. Yolanda, she's an amazing lady, by the way. So she sent me four calendars through Expedited Post with that are signed so that I can have the rest of the ladies sign them that are going to be on yeah, at, the, at the signing on Saturday. And those are the calendars I'm going to be gifting you guys for Christmas. So I thought I'd Ooh. let you know. But, oh, well, that was Christmas present surprise. Anyways, we are going to be having a, uh, a signing on Saturday. Uh, so I went on Saturday to SFRC. Well, one reason is because it's Saturday, and that's what I do. I go to the SFRC. I picked up some stocking stuffers uh, for people, uh, but I also made arrangements for this Saturday as well. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think there's going to be, like, a lot of people there. So if you are planning to go, uh, get there early and, yeah, stand in line. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's that's just what I get there you might early. Wanna, you might want to tent out the night before. Yeah, apparently it's the first. It's the first and only day for muscle loaders too. So I planned the wrong day for this. But anyways, there's. I'm thinking that there's going to be a lot of people there. Uh, the other thing that I did was I went to the range on Sunday and I took out the uh, the Benelli Nova and I love it. I love it. Anyways, they're so smooth, you? eh? Like the pump on them. Oh my them? god, it's just like butter. Yeah, it seriously is. I took out target loads so. You, you couldn't really feel anything, but it was like, oh, yeah. Anyways, Jason, Jason Phillips, thank you for uh, allowing me to buy it. And Trevor, I'm sorry that I bought it from Jason, but it was probably one of the best purchases I've ever done. And it's 12 gauge, but a 12 gauge shotgun, but I just love it. So I'm going to play with it all the time. And yeah, I also, I also did some pistols. I didn't shoot my 1022 at all. But I did some pistol shooting, and I noticed that I really need to work on my uh, fundamentals and, yeah, do some practicing and some shooting. And by the time I was – I put through I, – I tried out my Glock and some of the other pistols that Kevin has, and I went back to it, and I was I was shooting better with my Glock for some reason. But I really concentrated on the fundamentals, and by the end of it, I was getting uh, quite a bit better. One of the things I did want to say was I was looking at my – because, Brian, you were talking about trigger placement, or trigger finger placement, right? 
Uh, in the interview that the uh, listeners yeah. will listen to later, yeah, <laughs> a little bit later. But you and I were talking to it about about it beforehand. So I was really thinking about it when I was shooting shooting my Glock, and I recognized and realized where my trigger was, and it's not where I where I shoot with my rifle. And I was more accurate when I was using the um, not the pad, but you know the first knuckle there. Knuckle. Yep. Yeah, I'm more accurate when I do that. So I went, it, it is different. And I recognize that what I, what I shoot with my rifle is different than what I shoot with my pistol. So I wonder, I if, uh, I wonder if running with your knuckle uh, on the trigger gives you more leverage or more power over the uh, trigger. And uh, that gives you more control. It's the Yes, but it's also the fact that my Glock, I, I don't have any backstrap on it. It's just it's just down, to, but the Glock is too big for my hand. Mm. I, I recognize that too because I have to break my grip and everything when I need to actually drop the mag in that too. Mm-hmm. So it's it doesn't that. But, but anyways, I was more accurate with my Glock, which is unusual, uh, than, you know, the MMP and the, uh, uh, the uh, SIG... Uh, 250 that Kevin runs as well. So it was weird. Anyways, quick, quick those are all, those are all pretty similar. Like if, yeah. if you're more accurate with the Glock, it's probably because you're just more familiar with it. You shoot it more. Um, no. No? Oh, okay. No. Then no. Right. What were you going to say, Brian? Quick question. Uh, for the, on the 250, does Kev just have the uh, medium backstrap or medium grip frame? Yeah, he does. Yeah. See, I think you should um, go to SFRC and get a small grip frame. And try that. Okay. Or just shoot the clock. (laughs) Or just shoot the clock. You know, and honestly, that is that is never the wrong answer to any pistol question. I lost him again. I don't compared to anyways. I don't know. Well, you can you can change the trigger on a clock. Oh, I know. I know. I'm just trying to get you to spend your money. That's really what I'm after here. I hear that and I appreciate that. So thank you. <laughs> or just send it to Trevor. Trevor is good at, at working on people's guns. He seems to like it. It's mm. it's not even putting lipstick pit. It's putting on a on a Glock. So it's completely he should be good good with that. The only problem with the Glock is, as I said, I don't run a backstrap on it and it is still too big for me. Which is weird. I don't know. Anyways. Because I can't, I have to break my grip in order to drop the mic. Just saying. All right. Mm. Have you guys also noticed, like, my car, I so I had to go and get new tires, new brakes, everything on it. Ugh. Anyways, I'm broke now. Um, but have you guys noticed, or, like, on the back of my car, I have, like, the CCFR logo, and then I have the maple seed and the apple seed rifleman, and then I also shoot like a girl and, and all that. Anyways. So I took my car into my mechanic, and when I went to pay for the astronomical fee, and I'm broke, as I said, but when I took, when I went to go and pay, he started talking to me about, you know, his son and, you know, paying uh, or buying his son a uh, a new gun for Christmas. And I'm going, what the hell is he talking about? Why is he telling me about this? And then I figured out, oh yeah, back of my car has all this stuff, right? About guns. But so now people are talking to me about guns my um the guy that uh picks up my garbage you know he's he's talking to me anyways long story short i'm now talking to people about guns because of what's on my cars um 
but I also seven step my mechanic now. I have talked to his talked to him about uh, his son, and his son's fifteen years old. So I said, "Well, how much training has he had with respect to fundamentals and all that?" So I gave him my card and I said, "Well, Project Maple Seed, you know what? If you would like, if you would like to, you know, give me a call, send me an email, and I'll add him to the line when we're here in Kingston." So it was pretty nice. I was able to talk to him, you know, about different guns that he was he's buying his son a a, um, a, a bolt gun for for christmas a little savage so i thought cool. that was awesome so yeah but it's i just thought it was really weird why is he talking to me about guns but okay <laughs> but anyways but it's because of the fact that i have all this stuff on the back of my car yeah he just knew and that's i know it's going <laughs> it was weird but anyways He's a really nice guy too. So, but anyways, I, I didn't really tell him that he was probably not buying the right gun for his son. But I gave him a little bit of advice. All right. Well, Adriel, what about you? Uh, I can't remember how much stuff I talked about the last time I was on because I missed the last week's show, and then one before that we did early. So I'll just like <laughs> do a quick review on the oldest stuff. Uh, I traded my. Uh, Mossberg Patriot for a Norinco M305 Shorty. Uh, did I talk about that? Maybe? No. No, no you were I... saying that you were putting it up. Ah, gonna... yes. Yeah. So I was going to put it up, and I found someone looking for a hunting rifle and trade for an M305. So I'm like, hey, I got a hunting rifle. <laughs> I got this Marlin here. Sorry, uh, Mossberg. And so I traded him, and now I have an M305. And I don't really need an M305. I just, uh, I don't know. Wanted to get rid of the Mossberg, and uh, now I have an M305. So I don't know. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll do some sort of project work on it, or maybe not. I don't know yet. Uh, let's see. I stopped in at the uh, Mill Arm uh, in Edmonton Where? on uh, on Black Friday, and they had some pretty good sales. So I bought some guns. <laughs> just, what did you buy? Oh, I just went in for like some grips for a 1911, uh, but I ended up buying a Remington 700 ADL in 223 and a Marlin Papoose uh, takedown 22. Uh, yep. <laughs> they got and, me. You and Matthew are going to have to have like a Papoose off. <laughs> They're so cool. They're <laughs> such a cool little gun. Uh, so so this the, the Remington 700... Uh, they've discontinued the Remington 770. Uh, the people on my YouTube channel who complain about my negative review on the 770 still think I'm I'm stupid, but uh, you know, <laughs> at least Remington stopped making it. Uh, so now they've got the 783, and they're also starting to price the 700 ADL uh, really competitively. Uh, this one I picked up for 350. So that's like that's, that's way down on cheap. Yeah, for a Remington 700, uh, that's way down. Now keep in mind the ADL is a blind box magazine synthetic stock uh, rifle. Uh, the finishing isn't as nice as they have on some of their upper end uh, Remington 700s, but 350, whew, that's that's low priced, and uh, so I had to have it. <laughs> I don't okay. I don't particularly need it, but. Uh, 223. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll throw the scope on it and uh, uh, go some shoot, shoot shoot some coyotes or something like that. Uh, so I took all that stuff to the range. Uh, I sighted in my AR. I shot the Remington 700 for groups. I shot it at distance for fun. Uh, I actually actually got it out to 500 meters, 
And at that distance with my Cytron 6-24, it's hitting basically right at the bottom of the scope. <laughs> so pretty, uh, pretty low down there. Uh, a lot of drop, but shooting at distance is so fun because you can shoot, the gun comes back down, and you can watch where the uh, where the bullet hits. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else did I shoot? That Marlin Papoose was kind of neat. It uh, ran flawless, like uh, just like my 795. It just just runs. <laughs> um, the uh, barrel nut loosened off unless you use the uh, unless you use the wrench. Uh, but I think that like that Papoose is more of a uh, backpacking, take it in case, like take it hunting in case you see a grouse, uh, more of that kind of thing than, uh, you know, uh, go somewhere and, and sit down yeah. and do some real shooting. Cause if you want to do like a lot of like high volume shooting, you probably shouldn't be using a, a takedown like system like that. Uh, the 1022 has a better takedown system that won't loosen with firing. Uh, so mm. compared, compared with this and now keep in mind, I, what did I pay for this thing? Either 180 or 280. I think 280, two something. Anyways, cheap. So, <laughs> so uh, shot both of those. Uh, I went to Las Vegas. I shot some full auto stuff out there. The uh, what did I shoot? An Uzi, an MP5, and a P90. You and didn't look happy at all, by the way. What's that? I mean, sh- you didn't look happy at all with those pictures with the Uzi. <laughs> You were so upset. I, I am sorry. Uh, I actually like the Uzi. It, it was it was a lot of fun to shoot. It's super controllable. But uh, yeah, I did I did use a, a bit of a goofy face there. Yeah, I, you know it's funny. I shot an Uzi in Florida last year, and I was like, eh, eh, meh. Falado eh. Uzi. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like meh, meh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I like that. I, I gotta um, say, I, I, an open bolt feels weird. Yeah. It's just. It's a weird action. I'm just so not used to it. Yeah. Well, and uh, at that gun range, the other two guns that they had had like real crappy red dots on them, and I like, and they were not sighted in. And <laughs> like, what's what's the point? Yeah, what's- just give me the irons. The Uzi had irons. So like, I'll just use those. I don't want any of this other garbage. Do you think they really actually? So these. So which place did you go to first? So which uh, range the did you go to? Machine gun experience? I don't, I don't know. There was, a yeah, group, there was a group on, and it was pretty inexpensive, so that's the one I went to. Okay. So do you think they actually take the time to sight in the rifles, and or is it just about the experience itself? Do oh, you think? it's just it's good. It's just the experience. Like they they treat yeah. them like yeah they like they bump them around and 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 that kind of thing. So I'd imagine they get knocked out of uh, out of alignment, or they just never sight them in at all, and they just shoot them. But uh, yeah, it's fun. That's good. Yeah, fun little. Yeah, you look uh, like you had a great time. Yeah, I bought a bunch of twelve gauge. I went to wholesale sports and I found some score for six twenty a box. And I found some federal and a bunch of other stuff for six seventy a box, so I bought a thousand of those, and I bought a, a, a whole whack of uh, two twenty three um, Tenda out of I think they're out of Ontario. Had there. had federal independence. I believe this stuff is made in Israel. It's it's it might be IMI. I'm not quite sure, um, but they had some fifty five grain blaster ammo for I want to say like four nineteen per thousand. Plus, Federal's got a $50 US uh, mail-in rebate for every 1,000 rounds. 
So I think like my, without without taxes, I'm at right around thirty eight cents around. With taxes, I'm probably back up to the forty forty two cents around kind of a thing. Uh, but I got a couple thousand of that stuff too. <laughs> I hope it. Okay. I hope it works because that's uh, an excellent price. It's supposed to be a little bit uh, spicy too, quite uh, quite fast. So. All ready for all right. uh, all ready for three gun season. I made about a thousand nine mil, so that's you know not enough for the season, but it'll get me started. And I've got at least enough two two three for a season or two, and same thing for twelve gauge. So I'm ready to rock and roll. Yeah, sounds like you're ready. Yeah, <laughs> my uh, yeah. my ammo cabinet is not going anywhere. It's uh, it's well weighted down right now. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, why don't we get into the upcoming events uh, first? Uh, Kelly, did you want to take this one about Matador Arms? Sure. So right now, Matador Arms was doing a contest with all the podcasts as well as Project Maple Seed, and it was a video about their coupler uh, for the Ten Twenty Two magazines. Plus the uh, uh, what is it called? It is called the I can't remember. Well, the first one was uh, their Mag the, Rotor, and I think the right, other one was the, their Express, Express Mag Release. Mag Release, right? And so they were holding a contest basically between the podcasts as well as uh, Project Maple Seed to see about doing a video for it. Now, originally, if you were listening to last week, uh, Trevor had received the product and he was going to do a video of it uh, when he was going to go see Filthy next week or the week after. Uh, But uh, it looks like the contest has, or the deadline has passed. Uh, They haven't made an announcement yet for it. Annika was uh, talking about Project Maple Seed posted one uh, yesterday or the day before, and Annika said, "Well, it's a great ma- it's a great video, but the deadline has passed. So hopefully they will be um, posting, or they being Annika or or uh, Matter to Arms will be posting uh, soon about it. Now, Adriel, you did one on the coupler, right? Yes, you, you did do a video on the coupler, but you didn't do one on the extended make release at all. Yeah, that's correct. You didn't. I don't, I don't have one of those. No. Right. So, but I did want to say uh, I did put it down in new gun stuff, but we can talk about it now. Matador Arms uh, actually put together a discount. If you're going to buy both of them, you can go to their website and you can go into. Uh, as I said, on their website, it's the 1022 Mag Rotor and the Express Mag release. And you can, if you type in 1022 Combo, all one word, uh, you can get a discount on it if you're buying both of them as well. So that's awesome that they're offering that as well. So, yeah, that's it. Very cool. Yep. All right. Why don't we move on here? Uh, we've got all those other events. The Ferlacci Handgun Fundamentals uh, one will be July fourteenth in the Edmonton-ish area. We haven't figured out where to uh, where to do it just yet, but it'll be in that area. So uh, just email in for details on that. I don't think we have any details just yet, but uh, we will. We'll have some details. There is an email from somebody who's asking uh, about when registration and that we haven't set up registration yet and i believe yeah that's gonna go soon so ryan h keep your ears open for that sorry cool okay uh let's see here who wants to take uh this first one about the uh concealed carry bill that got passed in the states well who put it on there i did We nominate you. You've been, you've been, <laughs> Kelly and I voted. You didn't. And okay. All right. Unanimous. 
Um, I, lo- I love the way this one starts, too. Two months after the deadliest shooting in modern U.S. history, the House on Wednesday passed legislation that would allow people to use permits for concealed carry handguns across state lines while also boosting the background check system. Uh, this, do, 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 come on, get me to it. They're just talking about voting details. Um, attaching the concealed carry reciprocity measure puts the bipartisan measure to beef up background checks in jeopardy with the state. Uh, this is, this is about, uh, concealed carry reciprocity. I'm not quite sure, um, which one it is. Uh, when I was in Vegas, actually, uh, one of the guys at the range was talking about it, saying uh, that when this comes in, it'll be a good thing because, like right now, it's kind of a mess of all these different states and uh, and their different concealed carry permits. So, um, yep. you know, there's a lot of states. <laughs> so, getting some sort of reciprocity would be uh, would be nice for uh, not having all that paperwork, right? There was a there was an announcement made. I think it was Michigan that was saying that there is reciprocity now with all the ones that are might be Michigan hmm. uh, that there's reciprocity with all, every state. Don't quote me now. Uh, with every state that has concealed carry on it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of talk about constitutional carry and, and that as well now. So it's going to be interesting uh, with the recent, yeah, the recent concealed carry. Yeah. Anyways, I'll shut up now. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's going to get uh, it's going to get interesting. Uh, the next one here. Okay, someone else is gonna take. I, I I copied and pasted all these okay. in here, but someone's gonna I, take some of the other ones. I put this one in because okay. it's just a total. It is a total mess right now. So it's it's the poll. It's the uh, poll that suggests that, or it says the vast majority of Canadians favor a total ban on guns in urban areas. A new poll suggests this was the CTP poll, by the way. And there's been some. How do I say this? Shenanigans. Uh, there was one that was in Montreal uh, past yesterday, and there was uh, a lot of people voting on this. And over and within a half an hour piece, there was ten thousand people that that voted on. I don't think that happened. And they removed the poll. They put it back up. They removed it again. So what this is saying is basically, uh, this was the piece that I posted was one that was from a couple of days ago saying that uh, anybody who's in an urban area is suggesting that uh, total ban uh, take place in those with guns in that area because of the fact that they, you don't really need a gun if you're in an urban area because the police can respond within a certain amount of time. So what is your what is your opinion on that, Brian? Um, I, I think this is a very misleading poll. Yes. Um, it, it says... The majority of Canadians are in favor of a total ban on guns in urban areas, a new poll suggests. Imagine if they had reversed that and said a new poll suggests the majority (laughs) of Canadians. Oh, so the poll is saying that that's what the majority of Canadians are thinking. Well, no, it's it's just a twist. Uh, I think what they did is they polled like 2,200 people. Yep. And somehow 2,200 people are representative of the 35 million Canadians in Canada. I'm, I'm, I'm lost at the polling logic here. I don't, I don't get how polls work in the first place, but this seems really spurious. And the way it's being reported, there's such a heavy lean uh, towards support of a total ban on firearms in an urban area that it's, it's hard for me to look at this without laughing. 
It's, well, it's frankly laughable there. So polls are, it depends on who you ask and the way that you ask the questions. Hmm. Uh, but it's saying that 76% in Quebec, which I'm not surprised about, but and 48%, which was the lowest in Alberta. So, but, but still, they again, only asked 2,200 people. Right. Um, you know, like five, five people out of 2,200 ends up being a somewhat of a percentage. Five people out of 35 million means nothing. So it's... It, it's a skewed result. I, I don't trust it in, in any way, shape, or form. And I'm kind of, I would love to see what the actual poll question was. That would, I'd love to see what it actually said. Or how they but, laid into it. Like what, what or, they asked before. Yeah. Right. Yep. Or even Absolutely. how they've, as they phrase it. So just like you said, Brian, you know, it depends on how you phrase it, how you ask it and who you ask it. So statistics are, you can read statistics anyway that you want. And a poll is totally, it's, anyways, yeah. Yeah. And then you, you mentioned about the, the other CTV news poll that was on the CTV Montreal website. It was specific to Montreal, right? It was specific to Montreal. Um, there was, I think, at one point last night, there was like uh, 6,000 people saying yeah. no to uh, pro it was prohibiting guns in urban areas and like, what, two or 3,000, four. And correct. then all of a sudden... There was like twenty thousand people voting yes. That's correct. Okay. Between seven thirty in the morning and eight o'clock in the morning, there was another ten to ten to twelve thousand people I'm, that voted. I'm really right? doubting that there was that many thousand people in Montreal voting on a poll on CTV News. So no. I, I mean, there's like, some shenanigans there. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be uh, brigading, like vote brigading from uh, yeah. from one of the sides. It could be someone found out how to hack the poll. I mean, this isn't like. <laughs> Like there's a reason why polls aren't uh, aren't aren't super scientific and and especially internet polls. <laughs> no, no, yeah. absolutely, yeah, and and I don't know if people, yeah, there's all kinds of ways it could have been skewed. It's it's and and nobody puts a whole lot of weight to those polls, but um, because they can be skewed, if they're smart enough to realize they can be skewed, I'm sure if if the poll is saying something that people want to say, want it to say, then they will say that it's very scientific and important. But mm -hmm. correct. None of them really are. So. If they if the poll says what they want to say, they'll leave it up. If it anyways, okay. Yeah. Well, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This next one here uh, is basically a Rod doing a deconstruction of uh, a Wendy Kukie, uh interview, uh, which uh, is you know just basically a point by point beat down of her uh, poor logic and uh, incorrect statistics. Correct. Yep. Cool. And so that, that that a link to that will be in the show notes, correct? Yeah, we'll definitely throw that one in because yeah. it's uh, it's a really good listen. Uh, this next one, uh, there's uh, there's been someone who has been charged with having one of the uh, plus Butler Creek ten twenty two. Yeah, yeah, twenty five rounders. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so that's happening, and uh, that's actually a good thing. Not a good thing if you're getting charged, but a good thing for the rest no. of us because uh, it sh like if it goes through to court. Uh, it might get struck down, and then we don't have to deal with that anymore. <laughs> and that would be really nice. The problem, the problem is that there's so it's precedent set, setting, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in some ways, it'd be good if it gets struck down. If not, then all right. Mm -hmm. uh, the next one that we have here, yeah, Saskatchewan man was uh, handed a lifetime hunting ban after pleading guilty to running an illegal outfitting operation. 
uh, this fella was uh, running an illegal outfitting company called the Sticks Bear Camp. Uh, he'd be advertising bear hunts on social media since 2015 and been using an inactive camp in northern Saskatchewan as the front for the operation. Uh, Ohio Department of Natural Resources became involved in the investigation in the fall of 2016 after an American client was uh, uh, provided with outfitting services to hunt out there. Uh, the, uh, so, before you go on, mm-hmm. somebody somebody said something uh, because they were given information about it. Is that what they're saying? Is it because of the fact that he didn't get what he wanted or... No, uh, it doesn't reported say it, there. It doesn't say there. Uh, it might be that, um, like, maybe a bear was, was brought back in or uh, a cape or something like that. And they're like, hey, where's your paperwork for this thing? And his paperwork was mm. not fantastic. Like, it, it doesn't say. I'm just, I'm, this is pure speculation, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Bullock, who is the for person that was charged here, who's from uh, Langham, was charged with outfitting and advertising without a license, exceeding fish possession limits, breaching a 10-year firearms prohibition order, possession of a firearm without a position acquisition license, and falsifying hunting and outfitting uh, licenses. He didn't even have a pal. No. That, that's bad. So, that like this is all a whole bunch of stuff. Um, he pleaded guilty <laughs> in Saskatoon Provincial Court to seven charges and was fined 16 grand. Uh, he was handed a lifetime ban from applying or obtaining a big game license, bird game bird license, or fur license. He was also banned for uh, from possessing or owning a firearm or ammunition for three years. Um, oh, oh, so, so, can we stop? This is yeah, like you... this is so weird. This is so weird and weak. Like what the heck? This guy. This guy is. It doesn't have a pal. Is hunting without a license. Is outfitting with a license. Is fishing. Like all this stuff is unlicensed, and he just had to pay sixteen grand and promise not to do it again. Well, what gets me, he was already breaching a 10-year firearms prohibition, so they've <laughs> double prohibited him. Yeah. Great. You're banned from this already, and because you broke your ban, you're banned from it. Stop, just... Stopped him the last time. Like, what? <laughs> what's going so, on? So, this is, he's giving outfitters, you know, real outfitters a bad name. That's basically what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um so, uh, so his, his previous charge was uh, he pled guilty in October 2016 to illegally hunting moose uh, in the Langham area in November 2014. Um, he was uh, given a fine of 5,600 bucks back then and a four-year hunting suspension. <laughs> like what? The- so he's not he's not obeying the law, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> this is his third it's like uh, it's like someone who gets uh, uh, DUIs oh. and is banned from driving and keeps racking them up and keeps getting prohibitions from driving. Well, he, he just doesn't care. <laughs> Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Well, He's just going to do it anyways. And apparently there's no uh, courts or judges who want to just throw him in jail, which... Yeah, which like next, at, at some point, like, step, what, what's going on yeah. here? Yeah, you're repeatedly br- breaking the fish and game laws. We're just going to throw you in jail so you can't actually do that anymore. But well, I don't understand. Fish and game laws understand. and then owning iron, uh, like firearms and ammunition without a, without a pal. Yep. And exactly. it's like... Yep. <laughs> yeah. So my question is, and I, I... So this is going back to what you said, Adriel, because somebody reported him, right? I, I yeah, assume. So it, yeah. There's so, no details on what he did to no, no. make that person mad. We don't get it. But I'm thinking that if he's taking people out, right, and they're coming back and they're trying to cross the border or whatever, like he has, you're absolutely right, Adriel. He has, he doesn't have any paperwork because of the fact that he is not able to do this. This is all illegal. Like, anyways. Yep. So, ah, anyways, this is what makes, this is what makes 
I'm going to rant. This is what makes people think that all gun owners are bad gun owners. Just, yeah. uh, anyways, jerk. Yep. Okay, yep. moving on. Yep. Uh, why don't we get into some new gun stuff? Uh, the Matador Arms 1022 Mag Rotor and Express Magazine release. There's a discount available for that right now, and it's using discount code 1022COMBO. That's 1022COMBO, all one word. And that's buying off their website. Yep. Uh, next, and uh, I, I wonder if you guys can guess why, but CTC Supplies is bringing in a whole whack of uh, barrels that are longer, AR barrels, that are longer than 18 and a half inches. They're bringing in a whole bunch of uh, 18.6s and 20-inch uh, Faxon barrels. I wonder nice. why. Do you guys know why? Hmm. Nope. I, I, no I, could po- I could postulate, <laughs> but it would be just a, a wild guess. I, yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry, I said eighteen point six, but there's just twenty inch barrels that they're bringing in. That's that's my mistake. Yeah, yeah. I think the the text says eighteen and a half inch plus, which yeah, yeah I I, I don't think any of them are are cutting eighteen point six inch. So yeah, no. probably probably about a twenty inches, which is which is fine. It's it's interesting. I've seen a lot of debate back and forth. Well, if I buy this twenty inch barrel, can I cut it to eighteen and a half inch or eighteen point six inches? Yeah. Uh, why? But for some people, you know, and and. Well, ma- Maple Ridge makes a difference. Ma- Maple Ridge is bringing in some eighteen point sixes as well, so that's an option. Yeah, there's there are some different options, but I, I don't know. If you've got a twenty, you got a twenty. Does does cutting it off to eighteen point six really is that going to really make your rifle a whole lot handier? I, I can't see it myself, but whatever. Now the other thing that that comes up is um, dwell time because some. Some people have said that, well, if you're going, you know, much shorter than 20 inches, you got to get away from a rifle length gas system. I, th- I think there, it's kind of a fine line there. I'm not, mm. I'm not 100 sure. So I don't know if people may be running if if they are cutting off 20 inch barrels that have a rifle length gas gas system, they may end up with um, issues with reliability. I I don't know for sure. So yeah, yeah, I'd imagine yeah. so. Um, yeah, with an 18.6, I. I believe, like the the barrels I've seen that uh, that run that are typically uh, mid length. Yeah, mid length. Yeah. yeah. So that's something people should be considering. It's instead of cutting off a twenty inch. Um, now I know I know people run nineteens just fine, cut, cutting off twenties uh, and making them nineteen. But yeah, whatever. I, again, Split I don't I don't see the point, point in worrying. But what? But that's me. I mean, my particular uses it doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, Maple Ridge Armory's got a bunch of uh, 18.6s, yep. so there's that option. And just so, just so we're not like beating around the bush, this is for the SLRs, the the SLR rifles that are in country or yep. uh, going yeah, to be them, produced. Yeah. yeah, 18.6 inch barrel. You've got your non-restricted um, AR-ish platform uh, in 223. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool. Um, the last item we have, Remington is coming out with a new 870. Uh, it is the DM model, which is a detachable magazine. So they come fitted with a six round box mag that feeds your rounds instead of your tubes. Um, interesting selection of shotguns there that, the, that are being outfitted with this. Adriel, have you looked at this online this oh, yeah. week at all? Oh yeah. It's, um... <laughs> It's interesting that uh, that Remington is now taking Dominion Arms' lead in uh, in creating Magvet. No, I'm just joking. But I mean, well, we- to be okay, to be honest, I looked at the pictures of them and it's like, wow, they riveted something onto their receiver to accept the mag. It seems kind of 
Um, not not that well finished. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't work great and it's very effective. It just my my glance at the pictures is like really. Did you see the mag release? Uh, yeah, it's on uh, the yeah. front. On the front, yeah. Why? Why? No. No. Use yeah, the there's thumb. no. Put it on the back. There's, yeah, there's no way for you to activate this with your firing hand, drop the mag while grabbing another mag. It's, it's yeah, it seems weird. I. I don't love how it's been executed, and I really don't love it. This is a pet peeve of mine. I, I like a, sh- a shotgun to have a bead sight, and I like choke tubes. And none of the combinations that Remington has put together with this include a bead sight and choke tubes. Mm. All the beads are on cylinder bores, and anything with choke tubes has uh, ghost ring sights. No. No. Bead. Come on. I'm with you. Uh, yeah. Interchangeable chokes, bead sight. Yeah, I'd, to me, all all shotguns need interchangeable chokes. I, I see no purpose in cylinder board chokes. Mm. I I just don't get it. They serve no purpose. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I agree. You, you your utility just increases so much by having the ability to put chokes. If you don't want to run anything other other than a cylinder, fine. Get an improved cylinder choke tube. You're good to go. You don't have to buy any more. But you, if you can take take that out and put in something else, it can really increase the the range that your shotgun is is effective for. So yeah, I mean they're they're so inexpensive. You can get like if you uh, build your barrel for it, the actual choke tubes themselves don't have to be expensive. They yeah, add so much exactly. utility, and uh, you know it's just it's it's not nineteen hundred anymore. We can get interchangeable cho- chokes for for our shotguns. We don't have to have a full choke shotgun and a modified shotgun or you know, uh, an over under that has, uh, you know, both of those for the flexibility. We can we just get a shotgun with choke tubes. Even back in the days of, of, of the uh, over unders and side by sides, they'd have two different chokes typically, except for something like super short. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you always had a full modified, you know, yep. it's, people have known that having varying chokes in a shotgun is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Why manufacturers don't just jump on board totally and get rid of the cylinder bore. I don't get it, but that's it. That's my pet peeve, and that again, that's what I like. So I'm I'm projecting here a lot. So yeah, uh, mm. Kelly, you disagree? Everybody, <laughs> no, I was just gonna say that it's what Brian likes, and so everybody should like it, right? Well, it's what I know, it's I what agree. I like too. I I agree with Brian on this one. Yeah, but, uh, I agree too. It it goes back to if you only want a cylinder board, fine. You can get a breaching choke. You can get you know which is. Basically, mm-hmm. cylinder board, or maybe improved cylinder. Improved cylinder isn't going to tighten things up so much that it, you know, you're you're not going to get a, a a wide spread at a close distance. So, anyway, that's that's my thing. Yeah. Enough. I've yeah. That was a bit of a go button moment for me. I didn't mean for it to be. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's just one more here. Uh, the uh, Canada Ammo is bringing in the Anderson AR-15s in a 14 and a half inch barrel, and those guys are selling for 6.99. So. So a restricted uh, Air 15? Patui. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. <laughs> Nobody wants them. That's, that's last year. 2017 that's and 2018 so are about non-restricted. <laughs> yeah. That's so earlier in 2017. That's nothing. Uh, I'm just <laughs> waiting for the, the price on barrels, like shorter barrels, to just like completely collapse and for the prices on 18.5 and 20-inch ones to just like skyrocket. Yeah, well, it, you know, and, and it's funny because there's been stuff on on social media, and guys are saying, "Well, I'll buy this rifle, and then I'll be able to sell the upper and the lower, and and make some of my money back." No. And, and my my point back to him was, "Yep, there's going to be a lot of those on mm-hmm. the market selling for cheap 
Do not be expecting to charge premium prices for AR-15 stripped lowers because everyone's doing this to outfit their Maccabee. That's it, that's not how it's going to work, guys. Mm-hmm. But I know how CGN is, and there will be people asking uh, premium prices for restricted lowers for sure. They can try. They can country. try. Yeah, yeah. Tell them, right. but they can try. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's okay. And right. now, now maybe I'm hedging this because I may be in the market for a really cheap restricted lower. <laughs> I, it's possible, but I might. You know, you never know. Yeah, we'll see. Cool. All right. June. Hmm? June, you should be able to get one. Just saying. Yeah, perhaps. Mm, yeah. All right. We'll see. Cool. Well, why don't we head on to the main topic? And joining us tonight, we have Earl Green of Phase Line Green Tactical. Hey, Earl. How's it going? Hey, good, Brian. How are you tonight? Not too bad. It's been a while since we've chatted. Actually, it sure has. I mean, uh, you know, we're kind of online at the same time, but uh, yep. gosh, I haven't seen you since uh, actually you were on our carbine course. Yep. Uh, obviously, I follow you on Facebook and uh, I listen to you guys, so it's, it's really great to hear from you. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, the emotional scars from your course are, are starting to, the, my therapist says I'm getting better. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm just coming, coming through that. No, I was just kidding. Um Okay, so Earl, we want to talk a little bit, well, about a few things, uh, but first and foremost, uh, why don't you talk to us about what is Phase Line Green Tactical and what's awesome about it and why should people be uh, looking at taking courses with you? Right on. Well, it's kind of interesting. Um, Phase Line Green is actually, it's, um, I mean, it, it has changed a lot since I first started it. A couple of things that I first started the company in 2006, and, and my initial uh, thought process was to offer use of force, firearms, um, general expertise on conflict resolution, workplace violence, uh, those types of things, drawing on my experience as a, as a police officer. It has really, really uh, morphed to... We got into providing a lot of use of force training, a lot of firearms training. In fact, most of it was firearms training, but I do use of force courses every year, uh, mostly for uh, large security organizations and things like that. But it's also uh, transpired to or transformed into I'm providing training on workplace violence, conflict resolution, uh, dealing with difficult people uh, and those types of things. So it, it, it really has changed. Mind you, my first passion is the firearms training, both from the standpoint of how to shoot in competitive environments through to tactical environments, through to even providing advice to uh, certain police officers and certain police units, and even uh, military personnel surrounding how to shoot more effectively and how to shoot safely and considerations, um, both in the employment of firearms, but also uh, other use of force options as uh, as are issued to, to various organizations, be that uh, private security all the way through to police and military. Right, um, right. Yeah, so I, I'm still loving it, though. And probably my, my biggest passion is actually pistol shooting. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that draws both on my experience as a, as a police officer and as well as a, as a competitive shooter in IPSC, IDPA, and 3-Gun. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and when I first became introduced to you was, oh, four or five years ago now, um, when you came out to teach uh, at the ORA at Base Borden, um, if if you recall, and you did a pistol course with us, I think you spent a day with us, right? I did actually. It was Pat Harrison and myself. Yep. Uh, we were invited out by Barney and the guys, and uh, I, I guess Pat does annual 
uh, handgun courses with them. And I was brought out more to do the carbine side of it, which carbine has actually turned into one of those things where, um, you know, it, it is one of my passions as well. Although pistol is my first passion, but uh, I've learned all the ins and outs of the carbine. Mind you, I'm learning every time I go to a course. But um, that was the main reason that we came out. And the ORA thing is it's a phenomenal gateway into the competitive world. I see a lot of people that they come into ORA, they either stick with ORA or they go on to IPSC or IDPA. But uh, ORA is a phenomenal way for people to get out and get shooting. Like I, I love the, love the whole thing. Yeah, and it's one of the few venues where you can use rifle and pistol together in the same match. Um, th- there is more three gun coming around that that type of thing, but this is I mean that's one of the few sports that focuses on those two main platforms. So um, that's it's one of the things I like. I'm not particularly a big shotgun fan, so the the pistol sh- the pistol rifle works really well, really well for me. Now, in your training though, you you said you you do the, you have your passion with pistol. Your second passion is carbine, but you also do shotgun training, correct? I do, yeah. Um, our shotgun courses are usually a one-day course. They cover uh, everything from manipulation of the shotgun in terms of learning what the gun itself does. So one of the things that I find with a lot of shooters that come out, there, there seems to be some misconception about the shotgun being an area weapon or an area firearm, and it's really not. It, it can be employed extremely accurately. And, and one of the things that I find um, from my observations in a competitive setting is a lot of shooters don't understand how their shotgun patterns when they're shooting, let's say, clay targets that are set up at distance uh, within a three-gun match. A recent three-gun match that I shot, they had clay targets from seven yards out to about 15 yards. Uh, Not long shots for a shotgun, but what I was seeing was people that were missing shots with a shotgun because they were trying to paint the target. And, And what I thought was funny was they weren't actually taking aim on a target that needed to be aimed at and engaged. They were just kind of pointing the gun in a general direction, pulling the trigger, and next thing you know, there'd be a miss. When I teach courses or when I operate uh, with shotguns, one of the things that that I teach is, okay, you need to know how to run the gun uh, optimally in terms of know everything that it does. How does it pattern? What does it do with certain chokes? Are certain chokes in that particular gun more effective than others in terms of patterning? And then the next thing I look at is how quickly and efficiently can you run the shotgun? So, for example, one of the things that you're seeing in three-gun competition now is you're seeing guys are doing dual loads and quad loads. And and honestly, that is a a real departure from how uh, many police services were initially taught to shoot with shotgun. And mind you, it's a natural progression and a a very uh, realistic progression in terms of, of dual loading and quad loading. The funny thing is, though you wouldn't have the same carriage equipment in yeah, a law enforcement yeah. or military environment, right? Yeah, no, for sure. It's that's set up. That's the, that's the evolution of that sport. Um, and, and that seems to be something that happens with a lot of the quote unquote practical shooting sports. They start with something that's very close to um, a martial application. And then it mm-hmm. kind of morphs as guys figure out ways to do things faster and more efficiently because eff- effectively it is a sport and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it sort of gets people bent sometimes, you know, one way or the other, depending on what they want to do. So I, I agree with you, Brian, but here's the funny thing is that if you look at, at um, I'll, I'll draw an Ipsic competition. Many of the great shooters in Ipsic competition, if you look at how, how Ipsic started out, you know, it started out with, with the gurus of, of, um, practical shooting. So, you know, Jeff Cooper, Bill Wilson, uh, folks like that. 
And yet, as, as time progressed, what we were seeing was that many of the skills from that competition realm were starting to make their way into policing and military special operations, mm-hmm. where handguns were kind of a staple of certain types of environments. And so it, it's a two-way street in that we start out, in many cases, we start out with, with duty equipment. I see lots of new shooters coming out in, in IPSC and IDPA with with duty type equipment. And then it, it um, as they progress in their shooting and they get faster and better and they realize what works better, they start switching over to competitive equipment. Well, take another look now. What I've noticed recently with many of the police clients that I deal with and many of my buddies that are police officers is that they're now carrying open top mag pouches, which when I was a police officer was completely unheard of. Mm-hmm. Yet the technology is there now where they offer better retention uh, yep. for yep. magazines and things like that. And and same thing with handguns. When you look at the progression from level three back to level two, back to level three on their holsters, one of the things I'm seeing is guns that are faster yet offering you know superior protection to what we had when I started mm-hmm. out in policing. Oh, yeah. So again, yeah. it's a two-way street in terms of the competition world lends into – the, the police and military world, and then vice versa. They come back the other way. Yep. yep. Yeah. You yeah. just have to be able to look at things in, okay, how does this work for what I'm doing? What do I need to adjust for what I'm doing? What's good? What's bad? All that. Yeah. There's, you can take lessons. You just have to not do anything blindly, I think is, is the, Absolutely. the best way. Yeah. The, yeah. The biggest question that I come up with, Brian, is a lot of times I'll see guys that'll come out and they've got 40,000 things hung off the, you know, the forend on a carbine. Mm-hmm. And my question back to them is, why did you put that on there? Well, I saw it, you know, in yeah. a magazine or I saw it on TV or whatever. Well, okay, if it doesn't, if it has no practical application to you, do you actually need it? Because all it does is, is, you know, add weight to the gun that makes the gun slower to point, slower to engage, uh, slower to move from position to position. And, and that kind of sometimes can be a hindrance. And it, it's just sometimes we don't know better. I was like that when I first started shooting. I had all yeah, kinds of stuff, you know, where I, I didn't need it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, and we all, we all go through progressions. Um, and I certainly from, from my view of the competition side of things. Okay. You want to try that? Go ahead. Fill your boots. You, you can do a little research on it and make an informed decision on it and then buy it and try it. You know what? And, and if it doesn't work, fine. Get rid of it. You, you took his, you took a stab at something or as things evolve, you might find this thing worked for a long time and then, your, the way you do things evolves and okay, I don't need that anymore. It, it, it's all okay. You don't have to, once you're, once you've made a decision on something, you don't have to stick with it forever. You can, That's correct. You can evolve. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But I do tell shooters that, that are on a budget a lot of times, you know, take a good look at what other people are running and, and buy once, buy right. And, and I got caught up in that years ago when I first started shooting Ipsic. I bought a, a, a handgun that, Turned out to be just, it was an albatross. I mean, the thing was a boat anchor. And by the time I was done and got it running, I had probably put $2,500 into a an already an $800 gun. And yes, it ran. I was never completely uh, happy with it. And then I ended up selling it. And yet, on the other side of it, at one point in time, I just ran out. I bought an STI and I started running it. And next thing I know, I realized that the STI was running like a charm. And... You know, it was the gun I should have bought in the first place because I did look at it when I was first looking at firearms. Mm-hmm. And and it's one of those buy once, buy right sometimes. It might cost you a little bit more, but again, it's sometimes well worth the wait. Uh, it can be. Yep. It, it can be. I, I do tell people, though, that 
if you're waiting for something and thereby not getting into a sport, you never get that time back that you're not participating in that sport. You never get that fun back. So you got to find the balance. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's probably the biggest thing. And, and the funny thing is, is, you know, we were talking earlier and I, uh, we were talking with Kelly about Project Maple Seed. And, and that's one of the things is we need to get more people out shooting. Yep. And, it, you know, it, it, it actually has to start with youth. I mean, I started shooting when I was six years old. But if we don't bring the youth into it, it's going to be a dying sport because of, of urbanization and things like that. Uh, the other part of it is, is that sometimes parents don't make the time to go out or they're uncomfortable about going out. And yet it, it's funny. It's some of the most fun that you can ever have, but we're really, um, we're not doing enough to promote our sports. And, and what I see is that, you know, the silos that occur within it is, oh, I'll only shoot IDPA. Oh, I'll only shoot, shoot, um, um, ORA or CQB, uh, I'll only shoot, you know, IPSC. And no, that's not the case. You need to be able to, or you should go out and look at, yeah, okay, maybe I only want to shoot in that area. But you should also look at the other things and go, you know what? Those look fun too. Like, you know, it's funny. I shoot, I started shooting uh, rifles and handguns as a child. And then I got into skeet and trap, which I loved. And then I went back to shooting handguns and rifles again. And and people say to me, wow, you shot skeet and trap? Yeah, I love skeet and trap, but I don't shoot it very often. Um, and I'm good at it, yet, you know, it's one of those things where I have my interest in certain areas, but I certainly don't begrudge or, or belittle anyone for wanting to shoot something else because the more shooting you do, the better off it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Sure. Okay. Um, let's get back to your business, Phaseline Green. Um, we were, you and I were talking a little bit on Facebook, uh, the other week, actually. Um, and you had mentioned something new that you've applied to, to your teaching. Now, was this just for handgun or was it with carbine too, with the, the, the high speed video recording you do? Pardon me, I'm choking here. Um, so it's funny what I've what I've started. Actually, it's a it's a great point. We've actually changed the way that we're running uh, handgun, carbine, and shotgun courses now. In fact, any one of my courses, uh, I'm using a, a system called Coach's Eye, and I kind of stole this from another instructor in the United States. And and what they were doing was diagnostic shooting skills. And what was interesting was I was out west last summer, and I was running a course. Uh, at, a, at a range out there that, that I run every year. It's kind of a proprietary type course for handgun and carbine. And one of the things that he said to me on day one is he says, you know, I want to show you something that, that you probably will be good at. And he had taken this course down in Iowa and it was diagnostic uh, handgun and carbine. And basically what it was, was that the use of Coach's Eye, which is a uh, uh, an app that's that's available for the iPhone and iPad, and with Coach's Eye, you can do it much like any football play or anything like that, where you can show, uh, you can do it in slow mode, you can reverse things, you can go back and show the same play numerous times, you can also put diagrams on it and things like that. So what I was doing was I started playing with it in terms of looking at people's fundamentals as they shoot and actually filming people, an individual shooting, and then coming back to it and saying, okay, Here's what I'm seeing when we look at the video, and here's what I was seeing on the range. So I do two things: is that I have an actual uh, physical examination of the person as they're shooting, so I'm watching what they're doing as I'm filming it, and then I go back and I replay it, and I put the software to it where I can do it in slow mo. I can also draw diagrams on it, and I show them exactly what's going on with their shooting. The other thing that I have to be mindful of is to watch not only how they're shooting, but what the results are on target. 
because that's also indicative of what's happening with, you know, grip stance, sight picture, um, trigger press and follow through. So the, I'm now into this diagnostic shooting thing and I'm actually really, really sold on it. In fact, my last course, I did quite a bit of diagnostic shooting and I had extremely experienced shooters. I had a guy that was there from Seesaw who was just a phenomenal shooter all the way down to a guy who shows up on the course and he says, you know what, I've got 200 rounds through the gun. Uh, tell me what to do. And it paid off for everybody. And, and I've sent the videos to them and they went, wow, you know, I got more out of this one video uh, than I've gotten out of, you know, talking to, to numerous people and doing things. So it's really, really paid off and I'm loving it. Like it's a lot of fun for me to do the video editing and putting things together and, and even looking at how my people shoot. So uh, it's a really, really cool uh, app and a real cool application to diagnostic shooting. So that's where we're kind of at. And and I find it more interesting now because it's actually available for um, Google. So for Android. So it's not just Absolutely. an iPhone app. It's awesome. Yeah, and I've got it. And I've got I've also got their their uh, their tech support software, which is also it's a lot like Microsoft Movie Maker and stuff like that, but it's a lot easier to use. Um, but it does you know it's one of those things where now if you come on a course with me, what's gonna happen is um, within a week or two of the course, I'm going to send you a video of how you were shooting and break down numerous things. So from uh, just actually watching you shoot, stand shoot, to doing a figure eight drill, to doing a barricade shooting drill where you fire multiple shots from multiple positions. And then with that, what I can do is break it down and, and even show you where you can save uh, on economy of movement in terms of moving into a position, also shooting tactically, where your firearm should be oriented in terms of vision, feature oriented, that type of stuff. And it's a, it, it's a really valuable uh, tool to use. Nice. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Because I've never heard of, of that being done. Uh, and I've I've trained with you a couple times, and certainly that you didn't have that available at that point. Um, that would be really interesting um, soon. Well, I'm looking uh, at, I've actually got a, I need to talk to one of my clients about actually taking his video and putting it up on the, on uh, with our Facebook page and the website, because it is one of those things where I think when people see it, the lights will come on in a lot of uh, cases where they'll go, you know what, this might be something I want to look at because a lot of times, even for myself, I won't realize what my, uh, what my errors are or what kind of work I need in my shooting until I see it on video. Or a lot of times when I hear it from other, uh, other shooters, like, you know, I take courses every year. Uh, with other instructors that are a lot better than I am so that I can learn from them, but also so that they can diagnose what I'm doing wrong so that I can optimize you know, my shooting and get better at what I do. Right. Excellent. So, Brian. Yes. Um, we were going to talk about diagnosing your pistol, were we not? Oh yeah, well that's that's kind of where I was going to go next, um, which right. which is a little bit hard to do, you know, over Skype, um, you know. Yeah, I know. It's because obviously the the looking at things is is something that has to happen. Earl needs uh-huh. his eyes, not just my description of things. Um, okay, so so first of all, I, I'm I'm hampering myself, Earl, as we talked about before, because I am using a P320. So the bore axis is about three feet above my head, and so it's <laughs> it's going to recoil horribly, and I can barely control it. And that's been your experience in shooting the P320 in competition like you've been doing for the last two or three years, right? I actually, yeah, I picked up the 320 two years ago. Uh, I've run it two years now. In fact, I ran it at the uh, at the IDPA Provincials this year in Eagle Lake. And 
you know, it was such a bad gun that I ended up coming in as third expert. So I'm really upset with, with how the gun shoots. You know, it's terrible. It's just garbage. So I'm going to continue to shoot it because I yes. love shooting it. Yeah, there you go. Um, All right. You know, I, I'm just being facetious. One of the things I've seen with the 320 is a, a lot of the uh, a lot of the, the the publicity surrounding the gun is it, it, it's funny. You know, guns are like cars or trucks. You know, some folks are Chevy people, some folks are Ford people. So what I see in the gun world is, oh, I'm a diehard SIG guy, I'm a diehard Glock guy, I'm a diehard Walther guy, diehard Smith & Wesson guy. And yet the funny thing is, is if you put the application of fundamentals to any particular gun, it all comes down to really, in a lot of cases, the individual shooter. So, for example, my buddy from Seesaw runs a 226 at work. Uh, ran a 226 on my course. I hand him the 320, and he looked at me and he said, "Holy cow! What have I been thinking?" You know, for his personal shooting, he he's looking at a 320. A lot of guys will say, "You know, I'll run a Glock versus a 320 because if I drop my 320, it could go off." Well, <laughs> the answer to that is, don't drop your gun. <laughs> well, uh, that's one, that's one of the answers, and that's always a good answer, no matter what the question is. Don't drop the gun is a good true. answer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the funny thing is, I've had mine for two years. I haven't dropped it yet, and it hasn't gone off accidentally. Now, that being said, I mean, if they have identified an actual safety concern, great. Get the damn thing fixed. I'm on the waiting list to get mine fixed. I think, yeah. Brian, you yeah. and I have yeah, talked about Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but on the same token, it, it, it also comes into when you're shooting competitively and things like that, you've got to think about a few things. Um, for example, most competitive shooters that I know, uh, especially in the IPSC world, many IPSC shooters have the money to buy factory ammo. But most of them reload, and and for a couple of reasons. Number one, volume, uh, the amount that they shoot. Uh, there is some some cost effectiveness there. But the second thing is, is that sometimes shooters will tailor the ammo to the gun, and will tailor the gun to the ammo. So, for example, in my three twenty, when I run my three twenty in, in Ipsic, I'll run it in in uh, standard division, uh, standard minor. But I actually switch the recoil spring. Because of, of the 147 grain ammo that I'm using is very, very soft. There's very, very little muzzle flip or muzzle rise with the right springs in it. Well, it's the same thing with my competition 1911s and things like that. My 2011, I've got, and my, my CZs, I've got custom springs in them so that the gun itself doesn't flip around and do all kinds of crazy stuff. It, yeah, I know what the recoil impulse is and, and that type of thing. So coming back to the 320, or any other gun, as a matter of fact, you can tailor the ammo to that gun. What gives you the best accuracy? In some cases, a 124 grain bullet in a 9 mil is going to give you optimal accuracy. If you look at the original Luger, the original, you know, uh, P1907 was designed around a 124 grain uh, parabellum load. Well, so it's a little bit hotter load, but it shoots accurately with that. Moving forward, as we get into the modern world, many of our modern guns are set up for either 124 or 147 grade guns, or rounds, sorry. And so what we're seeing is that using that particular ammo with that particular gun and with the right spring rates will actually uh, commute itself to decreased muzzle rise, a flatter shooting gun. When we talk about flatter, it means that on the reciprocation of the slide, you're actually getting... The, the barrel isn't lifting up as much. It has to lift up a little bit because of, of the browning system where it unlocks on the cam, but it's not lifting to the point where a lot of times, you know, with my 320, I'm actually not even pulling off the front sight a lot of times. I'm not seeing the front sight lift up and then drop back into the notch. I'm seeing it kind of stay flat in that notch, but it comes with another 
another group of things as well, which are your fundamentals, your grip, your stance, your sight picture, your, your trigger press. Right. And, right. and the biggest ones in that are actually grip and trigger press. Yes. And, and I sort of think that's where I'm starting to kind of fall off. Um, I didn't seem to have a whole lot of problems even at nationals in, in September. Um, but since then, I've been noticing my, my hits with the, with the P320 in running 124 grain ammo, um, have been high and to my strong side. And I've Ooh. been fighting with coming up with different, you know, gripping the gun harder, uh, adjusting my trigger finger placement a little bit more outboard on the trigger and that sort of thing. But it, it just, it's a gremlin that's, that snuck in. It, it's gotten so bad, actually. I, I did a bunch of dry fire with, the eye target system. So that's with a, you know, basically a laser bullet in the gun yep. and, and the, you know, my phone records where the hits are, that sort of thing on the target. And I, things were, were coming along, getting, getting straightened out. And then I went to do some live fire and at 25 yards, I was like six inches, four, six inches to, to my left. So my strong side. So literally for the last match, I decided to play my slice and I just started aiming way to the right to, to be able to land hits in time for that okay. event. But I, I got to get this strained out. I need to get to get uh, to get centered up again. So, if if you see a shooter who is hitting high into their dominant side, what's your first thought on what's going wrong there? Well, it could be a number of different things. And the first thing I look at is is how consistent is the grip between strong hand and and support hand. Now, so in your case, you say that you're shooting. You're, so you're shooting high and left, right? Correct. Is that correct? Yes. So, so what I'm thinking is that in a lot of cases, if the gun is recoiling up high and to, in your case, to the left, then that tells me that you're not doing enough with your support hand. Well, so your port- well support- he's left-handed. I'm left-handed, Earl. That's correct. Right. So what's happening is you're getting an energy bleed that's actually kicking off to, uh, to your weapon. And actually, so, so think about this. So when you grasp the gun... What are you doing with your support hand? Are you so? Are you pulling back no, onto no. the gun with your support hand and no, pushing forward a, with your weapon hand? No, it's a squeeze. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not using a, a weaver technique. It's more of a straight up isosceles with with just trying to basically squeeze the gun as tight as I can with my two hands. Okay, so you may want to consider this. I've actually had to change my grip this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself, I used to always run a modified weaver. So in other words, my upper body would be in an isosceles type stance. My lower body would be in a weaver type stance. Okay. So again, su- support side leg forward, weapon side leg back. Uh, what I'm doing is, uh, is um, I was coming in, I was sandwiching the gun with both my support and weapon hand and giving it basically, you know, almost 95% of my overall grip. Like I was gripping the gun almost like a death grip. Yep. And yep. what I was seeing is that I was tracking pretty much straight up and down in terms of uh, if I was going to miss, I was going to miss high. Okay. Now, okay. when it comes to what, what you're describing, so you, you're a shooter and, you, and you're shooting off to your to your uh, your weapon side, that tells me that you've got some energy bleed going off to that side somehow. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that something is out of whack grip-wise or what's happening as you fire the gun. So what could be happening is that, number one, you may not have enough power on the gun with your support hand, or sorry, with your weapon hand, and also not enough power on the gun with your support hand. What I'm going to suggest to you that may fix this, and I'm going to give you two two really quick things that I do with shooters on on, on courses. First of all, l- let's take the, the gun out of the equation. When you shoot the gun itself, 
uh, you've benched it or anything like you sandbag it or whatever, are you seeing that the shots are straight down the pipe? Well, and that's one of the things I've got to do next is actually get back to the range and see if something's going on with the gun itself. Um, and I, I meant to do that last weekend, but I just ran out of weekend. So, so I know that I, I need to isolate the gun and just make sure there's not something fundamental with the sights or, or something else that's gone kind of wonky. Okay, do do this too. Get somebody else to shoot your gun and see where it hits. Yeah, but then I'd have to like have somebody else at the range, and I don't like people, so no, I don't want to do that. Oh yeah, so there is that. Okay, so don't, don't <laughs> do all with other people. People are yucky. Um, but, no. but think about this. I actually had this on my last course. A guy that came out, very experienced shooter, very very good shooter, and and right handed shooter, and was shooting consistently. Uh, pardon me, consistently high and left. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him about grip and stance. I was talking to him about push pull. You know, not in a traditional weaver where you've got your elbows bent down or anything like that, but, you know, going into the isosceles, but at the same time, you know, taking that weapon side hand, pushing it into the support side hand as you're pulling back to keep the gun flat. And we still were getting these really nice grooves, but really high and left. So I grabbed onto the gun. It was a Smith & Wesson M&P. And I fired 10 rounds through the gun just at, at 7 to 10 yards. And sure enough, I'm getting the same thing. Switch to my 320. I'm bang on the target. Switch back. I, I actually took his gun back and I started looking at the rear sight and I realized it was it was canted off to the to the left. It was actually uh, over in the dovetail. We pounded it over, got it back in. But then when we started shooting, one of the things I was also seeing was he was still continuing to shoot high and left. Did the diagnostic video that I talked about, and what I saw was a space between. The uh, the meat on the on the right hand, which you could see coming around the uh, the grip, and the meat on the left hand, there was actually a line that I could see where I could see uh, the blackness of the grip between these two hands. They weren't locked up or weren't locked together. He was actually reaching too far for the support hand. Oh, and what I see. Was, it was causing him to actually pull the gun off to the left as he fired the gun. So. Okay. In his particular case, what we have is we had energy bleed going out to the left. In your case, what you've got is, okay, so you're a left-handed shooter and you've got energy bleed going to the left. That tells me that something's not happening correctly with your left hand. So mm-hmm. what you may want to do is take that, that left hand, drive it forward, but then take take your right hand and pull it back yeah. so yeah. That, yeah. that you're actually, you know, keep your elbows flexed slightly, but use... Uh, the strength of your both hands, one pushing forward, one pulling back. And I'm going to tell you what, it's going to commute to straightening up your shots. You're actually going to see the, the, the sight line and the bore line are going to come together. Um, and so you want, and the other thing too that you want is that if you're looking at the rear of the gun, where does it line up in terms of, of your, your nose and your chest? Well, you want that, that bore line in line with you know, your nose and chest so that it's a straight shot down the pipe or, you know, right in line with your eyeball as it goes out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So try yeah. to pull. It may, it may work. Now, you're still having problems with that. Check this out. Here's another thing I do with shooters that are having problems. Switch to what I call mirror image shooting. So switch the gun to your right hand, change your entire stance over to mimic what you would do when you're shooting with your left hand, and I guarantee you're going to figure out what you're doing wrong. And I'll bet you your accuracy will increase. And, and one of the things you'll see is because you'll start concentrating more on what you're doing with your support hand as, as your main control uh, hand. Because what will happen then is that you're going to concentrate on the fundamentals, which fire 20 rounds that way and see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And it'll give you a lot of feedback as to, okay, 
this is what I need to do to fire an accurate shot. Switch over, do it again. I do it sometimes when I find that I'm, I'm either with a new gun or I'm having some problems, I'll switch to mirror image shooting, shoot 20 rounds with a mirror image, shoot 20 rounds with uh, my regular stance, switch back again and try to, to do the same thing on both sides. And I'll find where my problems may lie. Hmm. So it does give you something to think about. Uh, yeah, I, the the last the, the the kind of adopting the Weaver grip and trying that is something I probably should have thought of myself to give it to give it a go. But the mirror image thing, I'm gonna have to try that out and see because I never would have thought of that. It's, yeah, but I'm know, not telling you when, to that Weaver thing though. I'm not telling you to to do it. You know, in the traditional Jeff Cooper right. style of no, it no, almost no. looks like you're shooting a rifle. I, what I'm saying is you're still keeping those elbows yes. slightly flexed, but out to the sides. But you're push pulling at the same time. Yeah, I, I, what I meant was a weaver grip, not a weaver stance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so and you know, it's 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 worth giving a try. Um, and it's okay. It's going to cost me some ammo and some time at the range, which is fun. Um, even if there's people, it's okay. It's not bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you know, okay, that's good. That's uh, that's helpful. I'll I'll, uh, I'll play with that a little bit, and uh, and I'll let you know how things work out. Um, We'll see when I can get a chance to get out. And now that winter seems to have finally shown up here, ugh, my motivation goes. Oh, tell me about it. But hey, think about this too, Brian, is if you want, take a quick video of what you're doing and just fire it off to me. Email it to me and I'll have a look at it. Yeah, okay. Mm, I may yeah. do that. Cool. I might be able to you know, analyze it right off the video and say, okay, here's what I'm seeing. Um, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting if I could see it actually or – in, in person, which I probably will down the road. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's fixable. I don't think there's. Oh yeah, no, point. it's 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 something that's creeped in, and, and part of the problem now it's it's in my head, and oh, so my confidence has has kind of gone for a bit of a, a wonk. So I need to shore this up so I I fix the problem and have confidence that I fix the problem. So you know, I've well, got, let I've me got bring you back to that. So you want to increase your confidence with shooting when you first go out to the. When you go to do a range day, how are you setting it up to do your practice? What what distances are you practicing? Well, and and see that that's one of the other things I've been doing is is I've been kind of starting at twenty five, which is an aggressive distance, and that's yeah. where I'm noticing a significant um, deviation. If I'm shooting at ten yards or seven yards, I the, the rounds are, are hitting pretty dead center. It's when I'm going back to twenty five that things are are kind of going off. Off into space, okay. twenty yards. Yeah, uh, e- even fifteen, I'm pretty comfortable. But I get to twenty, twenty-five, things start to start to okay. So start here's to play my slice. Yeah, yeah take a look at um, do some reading up on how Eric Grafell actually trains. And one of the things that that I can remember with him is that when he goes out and he does a training day, he he's out shooting at fifty, seventy-five, and almost hundred yards of the handgun. Mm-hmm. But he starts out at three yards. And, yeah. and here's the funny thing is I always start out at three yards. I'll fire just a mag at three. And all I'm trying to do, I'm shooting a one-inch patch because I always use something to shoot at. Yep. Uh, I'll shoot a one-inch one inch patch at, you know, let's say three or five yards. And so what's happening is that I'm trying to dump them all into one hole. And I'm focusing on a couple of things. What does the sight picture look like? So is the sight picture good and solid in, in my vision? My front sight, I actually, all of my front sights now – have uh, I, I run fiber optics because I'm getting old, but they all have striations cut into them. So you know the the classic lines across the front sight. Well, I want when I when I snap the front sight onto the middle of that dot, I want it so that those things are clear in my vision. 
I want a great site picker. I do what's called site gears. I look at the dot. As soon as the site starts superimposing onto it in my uh, peripheral vision, I get hard onto the site in terms of what does it look like and how clear is it in my vision. I press the trigger. I reassess. You know, I see where the front sight falls back to or where it left from, and then I press the trigger again. But at three yards and five yards, I'm trying to dump them all into one hole. Yep. Then my next thing is I'll drop back to seven yards. Again, I'll shoot a one-inch patch at seven yards. I'll shoot a one-inch patch at, at 10 yards. But then when I get back to 15 yards, I actually shoot a three- or four-inch patch. Hmm. And I'm trying to dump them all into that three inches. Now, remember one of the things about the gun that you're running. The SIG P320 is a duty gun. Yeah. In other yeah. words, it's probably not going to shoot better than three to four inches at 25 meters or 25 yards. Okay, yeah. so you've got a lot of slush there. So that's that's starting to open up. And in fact, you know, people will say, oh, I've got a Glock and it'll shoot tighter than that. Mm, maybe. <laughs> you know, my Glock shoots better than that. It shoots about two and a half to three inches. But, you know, my STI is, a, is an inch and a half gun. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, it shoots better than I do. But when I'm at 25 yards, I look at, you know, and I want probably the same as you. I want a four or five inch group. But the yeah. problem is anything that I've done where there's a little bit of, sl- of slush, sure enough, I end up into a situation where, yeah, it's actually going to be, uh, you know, off to one side or the other. If I didn't do my work up close so that I can figure out what the gun is doing that day, what I'm doing that day and moving forward. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so again, start, start close and then move back versus going back because what's going to happen is that you're going to solidify when you practice, you want to solidify your trigger press and sight picture before all else happens. Um, you know, have you considered, you were saying earlier in the conversation that you, you had been playing with where your trigger finger was. I wouldn't suggest you do that. I would suggest you get the middle of that pad on the, on the trigger and concentrate on drawing the trigger straight to the rear. Uh, what kind of trigger are you running in your 320? I've got the Apex flat blade right now. Okay, so you've got the exact same thing I do. One of the interesting things I find with the factory trigger in the 320, I was actually kicking my shots. I'm a right-handed shooter, and I was kicking them slightly right, or left, sorry. Mm. Then I switched to the Apex straight down the pipe. Um, and, I, and I found what I was looking at was trigger finger placement on the 320 is, is again, you've got to be pretty careful with it. Um with Glocks, one of the things I see is almost every shooter that picks up a Glock breaks it to the left. And yeah, I sometimes yeah. think that's how that trigger bar lets off. Well, I'm just going to interrupt for a second. I was asking Brian that exactly because we were up there. Brian, how long ago were we up there for Maple Seed? Oh, uh, early October. But you noticed that soon after that you were having issues, right? So yeah. we'll- Yes, but Kelly, I don't use uh, – the you don't pad of the my same. trigger. I don't use a pad of my trigger finger on a rifle, so it's it's. Uh, I use a completely different trigger pulling mechanism with a with an AR-15 than I do with a pistol. Right. Okay. Uh, it's. I found it works better for me to, uh, to use the first digit, like the middle digit, on my trigger finger on right. on a rifle trigger. Well, you know what? I ran into this actually. Really, really good buddy of mine. You know him too. Um, who is a, a phenomenal AR shooter, military guy? Yeah, uh, um, is is really involved in the shooting world. I won't use his name on here because he hasn't. Given no, no, no. But, th- but does he have an impressive mustache? He does have an impressive mustache. Okay. I, I now, yeah, we are on the same page. Okay, that's fair. Yes, and he was actually at CISAC this year and stuff like that. He always is. Yeah. Um, 
but one of the things that, that he and I, he was actually on a course with me in uh, Alberta this year and was doing that. And I actually brought him back to running a normal uh, grip on his trigger press. And we actually increased his accuracy uh. on that course. Um, and we had talked about our good friend out there as well, Mr. Stacy, uh, who he shoots with a lot. Yep. And one of the interesting things was we came back to, hmm, you know what, let's go back to doing the proper fundamentals versus what we were playing with um, in terms of how he was, was placing his finger on the trigger because you're finding he had more control of the gun. So same thing, if you want to shoot well with a handgun, or sorry, if you want to shoot well with a carbine, then take your, your handgun skills and, and, and uh, commute them over. Um, and I, it's interesting because I want to talk to Richard uh, from Project Maple Seed about trigger finger placement and accuracy and that type of thing when, when we get together this spring because I think uh, there'd be a lot of, of uh, cross-information sharing there that I just want to hear. I think it'll be great. That's one of the questions I did have for Brian because I said, even subconsciously, have you changed where your placement of your finger is? And... And you were saying, no, you don't think so, but you were playing with the trigger placement, right? Well, again, I, I know that trigger finger Animals. placement is, is really critical with a handgun, just because a handgun is easy to move around. Right. Um, uh, a rifle, because you're you're locked in on your shoulder, your cheek, um, yep. it's it's a lot harder to move the that firearm around with your trigger pull. Um, so... That yeah, it's 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 never been that that much of an issue for me. Um, it and also I, I have found it, we're diving off here, but um, in in a long string of, of fire, I've I have found that my finger will actually get more fatigued if I'm using the tip of the finger on a rifle, just because of the way the grip is set up and just the way I have to kind of bend my fingers to make that work. So doesn't work for you. It hasn't, you know, I, I, I can do both. Now, if I'm shooting a conventional rifle, like a, a bolt gun with a conventional stock, then I will, I, I can't reach my finger around to use that middle digit, so then I'll use the pad of my finger. But yep. that just is what works. Um, with that 1022 that I just bought, just the way the grip is on that rifle, again, I, I'm better off using the, the pad of my finger just because of the way the grip interrupts how my finger would go otherwise. So, um, I've kind of played around with different things for different platforms, but most of the time I'm shooting an AR-15. That's that's my that's my jam, so to speak. You know, that's what I want to do most. So it, it's it's worked, and and I you know I've had no problem with accuracy um, when I was at that that national competition this year. So um, I've got a I, I got a picture with me with a pretty shiny bowl that I won for uh, for you know just from the the most accurate portion of the match. So. It's well, it comes down to actually. It's funny that you mentioned that because even one of the things um, I had a good friend of mine that that I had worked with in the OPP who uh, he had actually gone down to Quantico and d- had done some training with Carlos Hathcock when Carlos was alive, mm-hmm. and Carlos had talked to him about unconventional shooting positions. And one of the things that he was trying to emulate how Carlos shot, and Carlos said, "You're not going to be able to do it because this is the way I shoot due to my injuries, etc." Mm-hmm. And it was kind of funny because. Sometimes you got to play your slice and shoot, you know, the way that it works for you. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and that's, you know, and sometimes it is platform dependent. Myself, I try to shoot every gun like it's a giant handgun, uh, mm-hmm. you know, carbine, shotgun. Um, the only one I shoot a little bit differently is a uh, scoped rifle. And that's just because of, as you said, uh, the stock setup itself. Yep. Um, but again, that's, you know, that's for me. Anything with a pistol grip, I, I grasp it the same way because to me that feels right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. 
And and honestly, it could it just could come down to just the length of my fingers relative to, to other well. things. I mean, everybody's a little different, right? So absolutely, and that's yeah. the funny thing. You know, I'm not a huge guy. I'm not hugely tall or anything. No, nope. but that's one of the things I also find a lot of times when when I shoot with people. You know, people say to me, "Well." You know, you have your stock almost completely collapsed. Well, yeah, because I've got, you know, short arms where a person who's, you know, six foot one, six foot two, well, you may have to open the stock up all the way. I'll often see as well guys, you know, who are shorter with the stock fully extended. And they'll go, well, why are you doing that? Oh, because I read about it somewhere. Well, no, what's going to work and be comfortable for you versus what you read that might work for some other dude, right? And that's the beauty of, of modern rifle platforms. You can easily tweak those things to what you're doing. Um, and that, that's what's in, you know, that's, that's just the beauty of a collapsing stock and that kind of thing. So it's. Oh, it's absolutely. And, and you can, I don't, I don't care what kind of gun you're running. You've got to make it work for you. So for example, you know, let's get back to the 320 or let's get back to the new Glock Gen 4, Gen 5 is why do we give you different back straps or why do they give you different grips? Because something that works for you. Might not work for the next person, um, you know. And this is one of the things that I ran into in policing, where they were saying, "Oh, well, you know, the P two twenty nine will work for everybody." Well, no, it won't. What if I've got a smaller hand? What if I've got a huge hand? We were seeing yep. guys with these great big mitts who we were having to build custom grips for, so that they could hold the three twenty or sorry, the two twenty nine, because it's a short gun and it's got a smaller grip. Yeah. Uh, and, and consequently, though, I ran into a couple of police officers. Um, smaller statute officers who were running the P239, which, you know, single stack, 40 cal, because they had small hands and they couldn't grasp around the 229. So again, sometimes you got to play your slice, right? Yeah, you can't, there's not much you can do to make your hand bigger or smaller. Well, you can make your hand smaller. Um, it's, it's drastic, but yeah, yeah. making it bigger is not an, not an option. No. Well, I, it's I, interesting. I, Actually, I watched a video on that this week, uh, an Iraq veteran who had his hands fairly, uh, fairly burnt away and was shooting a new STI 2011 very effectively, but he had a very unconventional uh, grip on the gun. Yet there's a guy who was fighting through his, his, uh, disability. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and I think that's the thing is that you know, for many of us, it's just learning what's going to work and and what fits us. Um, I've seen people that have gone out this year, no one and bought the new Shadow too. This is going to be the great gun for me. Wow, it's fat. Well, maybe you just need thinner grips. Did you ever think of that? Yeah. So, which I don't think it's a fat gun. I think it's a pretty good gun actually. But uh, but again, that's you've got to set the gun up for you as well. And that could be different triggers. It could be different grips. It could be, you know, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And these, and obviously leading back in uh, to what we started with. So these are the types of things that when you have a student, you can help them break down and analyze. Oh, that's absolutely. You're, that's your, that's your background. And that's, that's what you're, you're giving to your students. So. Well, I think it's, it comes down to problem solving, but it comes down to, to individual problem solving. Um, I can give you all the fundamentals. I can tell you exactly how to shoot. But what might work for me might not work for you. I need to have an, uh, a, a pretty analytical eye when, it, when I'm looking at someone shooting and saying, okay, so this is what I'm seeing with how you have to grasp the gun or um, what types of handicaps you might have in terms of hand size or grip strength or even, even arm or chest strength, that type of thing. When I look at that and I try to break it all down and go, okay, well, you know, maybe you are running the wrong gun. Uh, for example, actually, I've had guys with guys and gals with, with the SIG or sorry, the, the S&W, the M&P come out with the biggest backstrap. Well, why have you got that? Oh, well, you know, people told me that I need a fat gun. Well, you got a little hand. 
So run the smaller one or run the medium one. I prefer the medium, and I've got small hands. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Cool. Yeah, and and I think it's it's also important for for shooters, especially when they come to a course like yours or or anybody else's, uh, be willing to try what the instructor is giving you to try. You don't have to stick with it, but try. If it it works or you think it might work with a little bit of effort, put the effort in. If not, okay, you've you've at least tried that and you can check that off as, no, I I don't need to do that again. So be open. It's it's funny you mention that because, I mean, as you know – you know, I, I was at one time the only Vicar shooting method instructor in the country. And and thanks to to uh, One Shot when they were around and also thanks to Larry Vickers. But I didn't fully agree with everything Larry said. Um, it, that being said, I've been on courses with Rob Latham. I don't agree with everything Rob Latham says, but I hang off everything they say because they got a lot more. I've got a lot of rounds downrange. These guys have 10 times as many rounds or 100 times as many rounds downrange as I have and engage in cerebral shooting. One of the interesting things about any of Rob Latham's courses, same as, as Ben Stoger's course, they get you to think when you're on the course, why am I doing what I'm doing? And analyzing you know, what you're doing even at different distances. And, and this is one of the things that I always come back to is I've gone on courses where I went, this was the worst course in the world. I can't believe I went here. But then when I go home and I compile my notes, I'm like, hmm, there were a lot of tidbits in there that as much as the course itself may not have been perfect for me, there was stuff I can try so that I can rule it out or rule it in as it goes. But there is value in almost every course I've been on. The sad part is the industry right now is inundated with a lot of people who they can give you a shooting course, make you shoot a lot of rounds downrange. But if you say, so why am I doing this? They won't know why because they haven't put the rounds downrange. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it de- definitely. I, I never gauge a course um, by the round count. A lot of people do say, "Oh, yeah, this course was great," and then their their rationale for why it was great was how many times they got to shoot. Well, eh, that's that's not really mm-hmm. all that fantastic. So, well, it's funny you mention that because when I went on the Sig Range Masters course, I think you know over five days I shot maybe a thousand rounds, maybe fifteen hundred rounds. Um, when I went on the H and K MP five instructors course maybe 2,000 rounds in a week. But it was every round was accounted for and every round had feedback. And, and that was the same thing at, at SIG Arms that I found. There was a lot of feedback. The, uh, I, I, you know, I took the, the Dimac OC8 operators course years ago. And I went, well, it was just a bunch of rounds down each other. It wasn't a bad course. But it, it really, I, I looked at it and went, hmm, it's a lot, of, a lot of stuff I could develop here. Uh, and I think that was the thing. It was a, it was a thinking course. But again, you know, you've got to really gauge. If I'm throwing in a two-day period, throwing 2,000 rounds down range, what am I getting? Am I getting a lot of feedback or am I getting a lot of instruction? If I'm getting instruction that, that also goes back to I'm firing range to or rounds to solidify that instruction, that's great. But I also want something coming back to me and saying, so this is what I'm seeing as you shoot. Uh, this is where you need to make a difference. Or when I see, actually, I saw a course last year where they were running a course. They didn't even have targets up. And I'm thinking, well, so what are you, what are you teaching? You know, th- there's no feedback downrange other than, okay, you're teaching someone how to run a gun, a particular platform, but you're not really teaching them how to shoot that particular platform accurately. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, and, yes. But again, that was a one-off on that course. And I kind of went, oh, that's kind of an interesting, I don't think I'd spend my money there, but, you know, maybe there was merit to it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, well, I think we have chewed up a whole bunch of your time. That was great. 
It was really cool. I mean, one of my passions is talking shooting anyway, so. So, yeah. Earl, yes. do you want to tell us where people can contact you, find where you're at? I know that you have a website because I've watched all of your videos, but tell There's us people. More <laughs> <laughs> They're awesome, by the way. I just love them. Go ahead. Tell us where you're where we can contact you. Sorry, okay, Brian. So, no, no, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Thank you. Cause I was, I would have ended the interview and like been, Oh yeah, we should have told people where to get a hold of Earl. So yeah, go ahead. So, Earl. Yeah, thanks Brian. Jeez. I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not great. Okay. I'm just not a great interviewer. Just, just roll with it. That's yeah, all good, brother. We all have our, our strengths and weaknesses, right? Yeah. And I have so, lots of the latter. So. <laughs> Me too. So anyway, I'm, I'm, uh, our company is Phaseline Green Tactical. We are a Canadian company. If you want to reach Earl, you can hit him up at www.phaselinegreentactical.ca or you can get him on Facebook with also Phaseline Green Tactical. His email address is training at phaselinegreentactical.ca and his phone number is 613-558-7236. So we'll also have all your links on our show notes as well so people can contact you through that as well. Absolutely. And they're more than welcome to. And, you know, I certainly hope we can help out the shooting community. And by the way, I'm also, uh, you know, I do subscribe to CCFR. I'm a member, uh, both a business member and a personal member. So we got that going for us. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Earl. Thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, you've given me some stuff to try. So uh, I'll let you know how that works out. Absolutely. Yeah, don't be shy. Uh, you know, and, and even still, Brian, if you're thinking of anything as you as it's coming along, don't don't yeah. hesitate to yeah. reach out and ask me what's up. Yeah, and uh, sure. I'll try to help you out as much as I can. All right. Excellent. Thanks very much. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. You betcha. All right. Let's uh, let's do some listener feedback here. Uh, I'll take the first one. This is from Cody M. Yelling at my car over Benelli Novas. I think we cause a lot of this. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> so the only difference between a Nova pump and a supernova pump is a mercury anti-recoil device in the stock that you can purchase for the regular Nova if you want. The Nova Tactical is another beast. Unfortunately, in Canada, there is no parts support for the Novas, so you can't buy a barrel for uh, from a Nova Tactical to put onto your regular Nova pump. Benelli does not make a semi-auto Nova. I have close to 12,000 rounds on my Nova, and a few things I've noticed, if you're deer hunting with 3.5 inch double-aught buck, there is enough recoil to actually unlock the pump. And if you're not ready for it, it can really catch you off guard. Also, at around the 10,500 mark, uh, my bolt split right down the face into two pieces. Benelli was very good and replaced it under warranty. They also mentioned that they had never seen that before, and it was probably a metallurgy defect. My Nova has been abused like a red-headed stepchild. Spent some time in the mud at the bottom of the ocean when I knocked it off the rail of the boat duck hunting and spent an hour walking around in waders, feeling for it with my feet. <laughs> a quick shake-off, and it was shooting like a champ again. Also, for fun's sake, find yourself some 3.5-inch slugs and go pumpkin hunting. I've looked for those 3.5-inch slugs in Canada and They're hard to find. Yeah, I saw I saw one retailer who had them in stock at some point and has not had them yep. in stock since. That would that would cause some issues with the shoulder, but you know what? It'd be awful fun. Oh yeah, they're if, Lightfield Lightfield Commanders. Oh, I don't want to say they're a three and a half inch slug, and they are mean. They are just so <laughs> much power, and I really so, want to buy some. Those pumpkins so, are mean. 
do do they have a heavier projectile or a heavier powder charge or do you know the difference uh, between a three inch and what a... was it? They would Uh-oh. have a little bit more. Lightfield Commander IPS oh IDS plus ammo three and a half inch sixteen bucks for five oof quite uh, let's see specifications on it muzzle velocity is nineteen hundred FPS which is pretty quick. What's the weight on the slug? One and three eighths ounce. So yeah, it's so it's, it's not a little heavier. Yeah, it's a little yeah. bit heavier, and it's going like a lot faster. Yeah, nineteen hundred okay. FPS is, yeah. is quite fast. That comes out to right about uh, forty eight hundred foot pounds of energy. <laughs> yeah. Now I, I do recall with both my eight um, seventy three and a half inch and my Nova, if I was shooting like three and a half inch turkey loads, like two mm-hmm. ounce of payload um yeah when you fired it uh it would eject the shell because the the recoil was violent enough that it would it, cycle the pump yeah wow yeah it was it was brutal That's... yeah so <laughs> you know kelly it's up to you if you feel like it go ahead otherwise <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm otherwise, not gonna call you a wimp for not doing that <laughs> well you know what it might be worth it just for just for once just for uh stuff and giggles yeah <laughs> just yeah. for <laughs> but yeah, I I did get a message from one of the one of our regular listeners, and he said, "I think that Anova is only chambered for three inch." And I went, "No, it's three and a half." Yep, and he's going seriously, and he's somebody who is a shotgun guy. So okay, so so the supernova comes with the the, uh, the mercury the insert as yeah. as well as the the stock is relieved and has some rubber pieces in it to allow it to collapse a little bit and flex. On, on recoil, so right. uh, it's those two things. Yep, that's cool. it. Unless it's the tactical, yeah, it which has, is completely which different. Is and different... it has a folding stock, I think. It has a collapsible, yeah. And it has a, a pistol grip underneath and and that kind yeah. of stuff. And, uh, and that and that's what I shot before. I thought it was a semi, but it's not. It was a pump. So yeah, mm-hmm. anyways, yep. still yep. loved it. It's like it's just like shoot. It's just like butter. It really is. It's smooth. It's anyways. Just yep. love it. Awesome. Brian, do you want to take the next one? Um, oh, yes, from Joshua. Uh, <laughs> is this a practical magazine for 3 gun? And he is I'm pretty showing sure his a... name is uh, Hosea. Josiah. Hosea. Jose? Hosea? It's, it's Josiah. <laughs> well, okay, on second look, yeah. Whatever. Welcome yeah. To it's his... We did this last time, too. From, from <laughs> Jay. Yeah, so, yeah, he has a... Um, a, a, a of a hundred round beta mag KCI. Yeah. Awesome. This, I can see this being very practical. Yes, absolutely. And it's only, it looks like it's on sale and it's only 150 bucks. Awesome. And since, and since it's in Canada, it's restricted to five rounds. You'll need a couple of those. You'll probably need eight. Yep. Yeah. Probably eight of those. Um, I want to see the pouches he uses to carry those eight (laughs) drums. Maybe or maybe he just has like a like a, a wheelbarrow that he drags behind him with him. I, I don't know. So yeah, no, that's probably not practical for anything. No, I mean in the what? states they use the uh, the Magpul. Are they the D sixties? Those sixty yes, round D60s. drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they they like them. The the D sixties appear to work really 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 well. Yeah. Um. So, uh, better than some of the other ones. I think even better maybe than the the Surefire has a sixty round. Uh, quad stack magazine, something like that. Yeah. 
I I don't know. I've I don't really pay much attention to that kind of thing because they're so not available up here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like talking about uh, you know machine guns or, or rocket launchers or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Right. Rocket, <laughs> rocket launchers. Let's talk those. All right. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you want to uh, email the show and tell us what kind of rocket launcher you want to use for three gun, uh, email the show at <laughs> slamfireradio at gmail dot com. Right. Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be four gun? If you're into the rocket launchers, wouldn't that be the fourth gun? I think it could be one gun because you just need the one to do it all. Like, <laughs> you hit everything with the with the RPG, right? It's awfully hard on the steel though. I'm thinking the range the, the guys who run the range are gonna be really upset with you for <laughs> launching shaped charges at their steel. <laughs> Okay, H E. <laughs> no, yeah. no shape charge is just H E. If you're going for a, a, okay, a, a the, ranged the, weapon, I'll, there you've you've solved that problem. Good, good. <laughs> All right, why don't we get into the iTunes reviews? Uh, Kelly, did you want to take this one from John Deere? Timex. Timex one two three. Sure, its title is Bang Bang. What if Matt went down in his plane and we can't hear his warning shot or as a cry for help? <laughs> oh, well, still a great show about Canadian shooting sports and what is hot in the gun world. Well, thank you, John Deere. <laughs> Timex, one, two, three. Uh, that's, that really paints a picture, eh? Like Matthew, yeah. like out in the wilderness. Help, guys! <laughs> shooting his uh, uh, Marlin papoose Marlin. in the air. No one can yeah. hear it from, from <laughs> like, anywhere. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Matthew has not left the show. No. He just doesn't have any reliable yeah, internet. He's moved, right? He has no reliable internet, so. I wouldn't say our internet's, like, super reliable tonight either, but. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. Mm, yeah. Anyways. If you'd like to leave a review for the show, go ahead on iTunes or Beepod or I don't know if Google Play lets you do that yet, but some of those things let you review. And when you do it, it uh, raises the profile of the show, so it kind of makes it easier for other people to find it. Shoutouts. Do you guys have any? Mm, Brian, do you have any? I'm going to shout out uh, Ken Kowalski uh, in that uh, we actually recorded an episode of Modern Rifleman Radio earlier in the week. I and heard. It's still not out. So, yeah. Now, to be fair, I didn't ask Ken if he was going to edit the show or if he wanted me to edit it. So mm. I'm, I'm my most <laughs> shot. I'm, I'm hoping he's just going to go ahead and do that, but we'll, we'll see. So it'll, yeah. it'll get released sometime. There we if go. it's taking a month, you might want to contact him. I don't know because the the so- solution for it is for me to edit the show, and yes. I'm not sure if I'm that committed. So oh, <laughs> it's your show. <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna lie. You know what? Don't don't volunteer other people if you're not willing to do the work yourself. So I'm I'm keeping my mouth shut. <laughs> All right. So the option is do nothing. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I can either put an effort in or do nothing. Mm. Mm. Option B. Yes. <laughs> I have a shout out. Mm-hmm. And, well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you to Adriel for entering our show on the same night that we produce it. So I just wanted to say that um, and putting it out. Matthew does the same just, thing. You yeah. See. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyways. So, so the everybody other- except Kowalski edits the show the same night and puts it out. That's what you're saying. Well, uh, that and Mike Islin and... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Wow. Can can the the bus the bus will will get off you soon. Don't Bye, worry. Mike. All good. 
And yeah, the other one I wanted to put a shout out to is uh, is James B, or also known as Ginger Snap. I just wanted to say thank you for liking our page and welcome to Facebook. And yeah, that's it. Very cool. Yep. Next, the uh, Patreoni supporters. Uh, right now, we've got seventy nine people supporting the show. That's excellent. Wow. Uh, our new Patreonies this week are Ernest S at two two three and Daniel M at a buck. And just a reminder, uh, supporting us on Patreon uh, gets gets you access to some of our extra shows. We do one a month with one of our uh, patrons, some someone who's uh, who's supporting the show. We kind of have them on and do about an hour ish rambling kind of thing about whatever they want to talk about. So. If you want to add access to that, as well as patches and stickers, which reminds me, I haven't done that in a super long time, <laughs> and I'll get right on it sooner sooner rather than later here, uh, go ahead over to uh, slamfire.com. There's a link there to our Patreon. Uh, finally, uh, please join one or more of our national firearms associations, such as the CCFR or the CSSA. That's important to uh, support those who support the shooting community. Uh, get out there and uh, take one of those maple seed challenges or uh, or one of their uh, one of their courses. They're uh, pretty good people. Uh, shoot a three gun match at a local club. Uh, go out and try some ipsic or bust some uh, sporting clays. Get out there hunting and uh, you know shoot some twenty twos and stuff. We've got a thread on gun owners of Canada. Uh, you can find us over there as well as on Facebook. We have one thousand eight hundred and seven likes, and we'd like your like too. Uh, finally, uh, I guess, uh, good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun. This this is a review that Adriel was just given yeah, uh, on re- YouTube. So, no, this, you, uh, this, this guy to... this guy got beyond just YouTube. Uh, most of most of them stay I... on YouTube. This guy posted on my Facebook wall, so <laughs> I must have pissed him off. <laughs> so, are you friends with the dude or what? No, they just posted on the hunting gear guys uh, Facebook. Oh, page. it's yeah. on the hunting gear. So, yeah. okay, okay. Can, okay, can I can I read this? Yeah, go ahead. You really want to read you, it? Can so you put yeah. an accent on it? Like a British accent or something? <laughs> I think you need to put some emphasis or something, a special twist on it. Mm-hmm. Hopefully he's not a Slamfire listener. Okay. Go ahead. Let me, let me give this a try. Okay. okay. You, sir, are a moron. <laughs> Several of your gun reviews show that you do not have a clue what makes a good gun from a bad gun. One example that stands out and shows that 90% of the public have no clue was your view of the Remington 770, a very cheaply made gun with revolutionary designs. Yeah, that revolutionary design where the magazine explodes and blows all your bullets out the bottom. <laughs> or was it the plastic sleeving at the rear of it? <laughs> you know, it's, what can I say? Yeah, I, so revolutionary that it is now discontinued and <laughs> Remington has brought none of the features onto their other guns. <laughs> it's, it's, and it's discontinued by Remington. Like, how bad does it have to be? <laughs> They still they still sell the R fifty one. It's got to be pretty bad. <laughs> oh man. Oh. Uh, yeah. Anyway.